Where are we going? Welcome to this exclusive podcast produced by Spirit Watch Ministries that will show where life in our darkening times is now turning and how you can avoid the detours of deception through the hope of biblical truth. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 24 warned us over two millennia ago and how urgently we need to heed him now. Our host is Pastor Rafael Martinez, a seasoned Northwest Indiana-based minister, intercessor, and counter-cult apologist who will help you discern the journey of change we're all on as the last day of the last days now winds down. For more information, check out our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. Now. Here's Pastor Raphael. Hello. Thanks once more for stopping by and for downloading our program podcast entitled, Where Are We Going? I'm Raphael Martinez, a minister in the Church of God Cleveland Movement, and thanks for taking the time to listen in today. This podcast is one of the services of Spirit Watch Ministries, an outreach of discernment in our deceptive world that has been ongoing since 1993. You can learn more about us at our website, spiritwatch.org, and keep up to date using our Facebook and YouTube links there on the page as well. Our Spirit Watch Unchained blog has been around a few years, and we post there with updates when we can, as well as offer exclusive discernment content you won't find anywhere else. We hope you'll enjoy visiting there as well. And while you're at it, invite all of your friends, your enemies, your next-door neighbors, your tax collectors, and, every, <laughs> and everyone all points in between to, to also listen in. We're always seeking new audiences, and we would appreciate your help in helping build ours. We're now found on Spotify, Google, and Amazon podcast channels. And if you're here visiting, thanks so much. Pour yourself a nice cup of ice water. Relax for the next hour or so. Or maybe my wife's Cafe Bustello might be your cup of tea. Well, you could serve anything in our Spirit Watch virtual studio, and we even have Diet Coke that tastes good. <laughs> uh, we're, we're, well, we are really today so glad to finally, after some of our efforts to line our schedules up, to feature a very special visitor in our podcast today. Naomi Wright is the founder and director of Be Emboldened Ministries, a Christian organization based in Denver, Colorado, which is devoted to helping those impacted by cults with their very refreshingly unique approach of public education, personal involvement, post-cult survivor assistance, counseling, and mentoring from that spiritual perspective. We discovered them working among the survivors of cultic movements we've been monitoring, and we're just delighted to have made their acquaintance. Meeting another ministry director is always, always a deep pleasure and honor, and, and our podcast today will feature our discussion, which we think will help a lot of people. It was deeply refreshing and encouraging to me, and I'm glad to have met Naomi and be emboldened and look forward to staying connected with them. Now, if you're struggling with recovery from cultism, uh, you have a loved one involved in the cult, or you just have some general questions about the whole religious, religiously abusive phenom of cultism, listen on. Naomi, it's a pleasure to have you on our podcast today. Thanks, thanks for putting your incredibly busy and productive life <laughs> schedule together with my own. Uh, I'm so glad to, to finally get a chance to meet you and share with you. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me here. And I like the word full because I feel like busy can be an excuse. Like we make time, right? The best that we can. So yes, it's full. It's gotten more full, but I swear if I wasn't relocating cross country, we would have met a month ago. So thank you so much for your patience. That's, that's all right. I know, like I said, as direct, as ministry directors, we understand that uh, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that 90% of people never see. You know, and, uh, mm -hmm. and I, I, and I appreciate the fact that you're able to take a little, carve a little time out with us today. So 
So, uh, being bold in ministries, how long have you been involved with it? And, uh, what drew you personally to, to that kind of work? Uh, I mean, it is a counseling ministry. Uh, and it's also a countercult ministry. Uh, to me, countercult ministry is the opposition, uh, to cultism and false doctrine and false practice that destroys lives. And, and, and there's a, there's a, uh, an intentionality in bringing out truth that helps people with that. And I, I, I believe that's what you do, but uh, you also go on and uh, move, move forward with, with counseling and you try to be proactive as well. Maybe explain, what, what does being bold exactly do? Sure. So the reason you're probably like, oh, it does this or maybe that is because the goal for being bold is that over time it'll become the hub that people know they can go to, like that trusted at least first step that they can go to for solid, reputable information in regards to a religious abuse or religious trauma experience. So whether that is something deeply unfortunate that has happened within a mainstream church or someone has been harmed, scripture has been used in a way it should not have to somehow, you know, meet an agenda. We certainly see things like that happen. Um, as, As grievous as that is, it does happen. We want to recognize it come alongside people who've had that experience, as well as people who have come out of cults, whether it was a more underground situation or whether they were just walking around town and everybody knew them but didn't know their full story, which is most similar to my story. So Be Emboldened looks at both the prevention side of things, because if we can educate and we can equip, then we can hopefully see less people become involved um, as they get older. As well as, unfortunately, we're always going to have uh, people who are victimized because the leaders of groups such as this are really darn good at what they do. Yeah. And also sometimes people are born into it, which, again, is kind of a nod back to my story. So we're always going to need that side of things, too. So being emboldened is is focused on that big picture of, again, being that hub. Um, internationally, we serve people all over the world um, already. Currently, we're doing that, which is such a gift. Great. And we look at resources, uh, resource creation. And uh, one-on-one group support um, and in-person support as well. We offer something called intensives where we can come in person and provide a significant support over a four- to five-day span. Right. So that's where we're that's where we're at currently. For my personal story, again, I mentioned a couple of things um, to to segue us into that, but I was raised in a, I I call it a pseudo-Christian cult to give people some context because I was raised told that I was Christian. I didn't have another word for it. There was no other name for this group um, that I had been taught. I was just told I was Christian. So um, being raised in public school still, which isn't always the case. Uh, we have many in our group who are homeschooled. That was very confusing for kiddos I went to school with. <laughs> You're Christian, but you don't celebrate any holidays. You, you know, you dress very different. There's a lot of things that are different about you that we can tell just by having you in our classroom. Right. There was so much they didn't know at the same time. For example, our group did practice polygamy. And so my dad had a number of wives throughout the year, but four with whom he did have children. And so I'm one of 16 from, you know, four different wives in total. And he wasn't the only male who practiced this within the group. So again, all of this going on under the radar while I'm attending public school in a state, you know, all within the United States in general, uh, polygamy is illegal. If I'm not mistaken, I don't think there's an exception. Um, no. Let me know if you know if I'm wrong. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I, it's federally. 
it's 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 a federal law. I mean, that, that's yeah. why uh, it became a big issue for for the Mormon Church uh, right. back in in the eighteen hundreds when uh, they they almost did not get statehood because of it. Uh, right. Yes, I said that with such confidence, and then I had this like, wait, do I have that correct for sure? I'm like, yeah, that's why we no, all. I think, I, think I, I think you're on the money with that. Yeah, that's definitely uh, illegal. Yeah, so I came out of that over in in kind of in layers, which I think is how a lot of us come out of something. I talk about how we don't we don't go from like A to Z. You know, we creep towards Z, and then it's a little hop to Z. When we step back out of a an uh, harmful group experience, we don't go from Z back to A either. You know, we have to kind of work our way out in layers um, in our healing, and so. Ultimately, COVID hit. I was um, COO of an internationally recognized company and thought, you know, this is going to be my career. In January, I thought that I'd helped build this company from the ground up. And then <laughs> two months later, it got shut down because it was in the event industry. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I guess it's not going to be my career, Lord. And I felt him really pulling me in a different direction. And the first thing I heard from him was, tell them what I've done for you. And I was like, all right. I can do that. That is the least I can do for you, God, for all you have done for me, as yeah. I can share my testimony of what you've done for me. And the emboldened has been birthed out of that. Great. COVID has been a horrible scourge, and yet God has used it to sometimes direct us and change things in ways that we never thought were possible. Aren't they? Yes. I mean, he mm-hmm. takes he takes the he takes the what sometimes is the worst. And turns it uh, into opportunities to become our best. So uh, I'm glad to hear you say it because COVID destroyed my my job. Uh, I was in I was working for the Whirlpool Company for 29 years, and then like uh, uh, about two years ago, they decided the bean counters there decided that I was a low hanging fruit that could be knocked down. And uh, mm-hmm. for the two years, I really uh, been thrashing through and trying to keep things ro- moving here. So, but um, but. Like you said, uh, through it all, God has his ways of making sure things, things change and that, uh, mm-hmm. change is, change is always good as long as it's tempered, uh, by some sort of mediation, some sort of, uh, a decent, uh, rudder. And, uh, and, that, and I think that's what, um, our ministries both try to do. I think we try to very, you know, to provide objective, uh, perspectives. For people to get alternative ways to look at the experiences of life that that they've that they've been in when it's when it's regarding um, you know cultism in all its forms, not just religious, mm-hmm. but you know, but psychological and political and, and et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, you hold a master of science degree in social work. Wow, that's incredible. So, uh, how long ago did you get that? I got my MSW in twenty eleven. So I got that in 2011. So that one's been a while. And then my master's at Denver Seminary, I have two classes left. I will do one this fall, one in the spring, and I'll finally be done. I started there way back in 2015. So this one's taken me a long time. (laughs) (laughs) I understand. Yeah, those masters do take a while, don't they? Uh, I I get that. So. So how long have you been, uh, have you, do you any, have any sort of formal practice other than be emboldened, uh, or are you, do you, do you regularly work with, uh, with people as a therapist? I do have some therapy clients within the state of Colorado. That's where I'm licensed. And so the way the laws work there and in most states, the clients need to be in the state. I don't have to be in the state, but the clients that I see for therapy have to be in the state. So I do have some therapy clients in the state of Colorado. Otherwise, I do what we call mentoring. 
um, which is not as clinical. And that's what we offer through Be Emboldened, again, so that we can meet people all over the world. I've right. met people in, in Italy, South Africa, New Zealand, Norway, wow. Canada. Um, so really spread out. And it's just, it's, it's incredible. Again, there's the privilege, the honor to be able to meet people in other countries and be able to support them and, and learn more about what's going on for them where they're located. It's also incredibly eye opening to the magnitude of this problem. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've, you know, I've, I've, I'm not a therapist, uh, but, but uh, I've been in ministry, uh, since 1983. I was called mm-hmm. to ministry back then, and I was also called to work with people in cults back then. Uh, they really, it's a, it's a long story I get into, but here's other places on our, on our, our Spirit Watch site where I testify that I give like a historical thing there. Uh, so mm-hmm. the parts of my story involved, basically I was called, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor, I'm a minister. And I provide pastoral care and counseling to victims and members. Uh, and there's a lot of affinity that therapists have with pastors in, in many ways, I believe. And, you know, now I've never posed it to myself. I've never posed my, uh, represented myself as a therapist, a professional therapist. I've never had. I, mm-hmm. I don't provide professional level, uh, type of counsel. However, I think there's a lot of, a lot of those affinities, uh, bleed over. And I think it's an incredible mm-hmm. amount of, 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 uh, cooperation that, uh, that can go on. You know, you know, um, we both provide care to the mind as well as to the soul. You know, therapists yeah. help people gain balance in their lives emotionally and psychologically and, and, and pastors should do the same, but also provide spiritual level, uh, context. Uh, and, 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 and again, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the model of, of caring Christian community. Uh, you know, therapists, uh, and, and pastors, I think I said, are, I, I think are very, very closely linked. And, and so it's, it's similar. And I'm glad we, we both have a part in it. And, uh, you're doing exactly what I would, would love to be doing right now is just strictly, you know, reaching out and helping people as a pastor mm-hmm. or as a counselor exclusively. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, this side of work I'm doing has been more, I've done a, uh, a lot more research. And expose and confrontation with these groups. Uh, and I really, you know, my, 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 and that's where I've been. And, uh, but at mm-hmm. the same time, at this point in my life, I'm starting to broaden out more towards, um, providing that level of intentional community. Now we've had support group meetings in the past in our ministry and we, we did those in Tennessee for, for quite a while. We did one up here in, in, uh, in the northern part of the, of uh, Indiana once. Um, we're interested in doing them again, which is why we have an online, uh, poll going right now on our, on our Facebook page asking if people would like to do a Google meet on that. So, oh, so nice. it's, it's cool that, that, you know, the internet really does and, and, and ministry really does, uh, enjoy that. It's able to branch out and reach out to everyone. It's so cool. <laughs> I'm so glad mm-hmm. to hear that you are involved with something like that. So, uh, and that's really where, like you said, the need really is just unbelievably vast. It it, it really is. And uh, yeah. so, uh, so let me just ask you a quick question. You, we've mentioned religious abuse. We've mentioned uh, spiritual trauma. What what does that look like in a church where it's ongoing? Well, what, what what can you say to that? Oh, so in a church, I that can that can look like a few different things. There's some. There's some room there, but as far as what it actually boils down to and is a person's specific experience, because there's a variety of different kinds of abuse out there. And I would say that when we talk about religious abuse, it's it's more of an umbrella term for uh, 
oftentimes it's a different kind of abuse that's couched in a religious context. So, for example, right. if someone is sexually abused by someone in leadership in their church growing up, there's a religious component to that as well because the person's assumed to be a spiritual leader. I mean, in a place of spiritual maturity with knowledge of God's word and who God is and inevitably whether scripture is used for that abuse or not, their position as a spiritual authority plays into the abuse itself, how the person's going to understand what happened to them and the suffering they're going to have um, moving on into the rest of their lives. And so religious abuse can come into play with an additional form of abuse. I would say that they can come together so right. someone in that specific scenario would have experienced likely both. And when we just separate one out, we, we miss a very important side of, of the faith life of an individual. And that's going to be significant in how they even process what happened to them and how they move forward. And what we see so often, which I'm sure is a motivator for you too, is that people ultimately then they don't know who who was God and who was the man, and that gets very confusing and, mm-hmm. and muddy. Right. And we'll see people just leave it all. Be like, I'm just walking away from all of it. I don't want anything to do with it. I don't know what to do with it. Forget it. And in that, they turn their back on Jesus, who's the one who can really actually help them heal. And so that's heartbreaking. It's devastating. And that's the you know core of, of everything I do is that in hopes of people recognizing the true Jesus so they can choose him or not, prayerfully, of course, choose him, um, but not be reactive to something that has happened to them as understandable as it is that they would be. So that would be my first part about re- religious abuse is I can see it as kind of an umbrella term that pairs with another form of abuse. Religious abuse as well, though, can look like someone using the Bible very directly to manipulate people for some agenda that they want to further. And we see that happen. Again, you could link it to financial abuse. That's very common. But in and of itself, someone can just be taking scripture out of context. You know, because of this, you have to behave this way. Because of this, you have to do that. And it's not actually in alignment with scripture. And the leader's getting something out of it. The leader has something to gain. It's usually, I'm going to quote Jay Warner Wallace here, um, when he talks about why people commit a homicide. For anyone who, who's unfamiliar with him, that might be like, why is she talking about a homicide detective? Because he's, he was, um, atheist, uh, turned Christianity by investigating Christianity as if it, you know, Jesus was murdered, which is true. So he looked at it through that lens and it converted to Christianity. And now he's got books and speaks and he's a wonderful man. Um, but he says that there's three motivators. It's going to be power. It's going to be sex or it's going to be money. And we're usually seeing that with our cult leaders or our, mm-hmm. our abusive leaders um, in, in the mainstream church as well, who right. are undercover for a that, period of time. That's a great Yeah, that's great insight. Yeah. Yeah. So it's one of those three things. So again, there's something for them to gain. And I think that's important because people in the church, they do just make mistakes. The Bible's got a lot in there, you know, and it's important for us to study it. And we're in different places in our spiritual journeys, our spiritual maturities, our knowledge of God's word. And so if you've got a pastor out there teaching something and maybe he's just doing it wrong, that can absolutely be harmful. If we go to that pastor and we say, hey, you know, this this seems off, you know, this is what we're seeing. This is what, you know, the church at large is believing. This is the evidence we have for that. That pastor's like, oh, my gosh, I'm horrified. I need to go issue a correction. 
and provide care to the congregation for the mistake that I've made because it's likely impacted their thinking and their relationships. That is a different situation than someone who's like, I would not care because what you're telling me isn't going to help me get my power, my sex, or my money. Right. Right. So different things going on here where we got to take a step back and critically look at it. Right. And that's so true because one of the, one of the many to do's I have and have never done, uh, in my, in my writing side of things, uh, is that, uh, I wish I, I wish I could win the Powerball. <laughs> you know, I, I would just spend, I would spend hours every day just writing. There's so much to write about. But one of the things I, I, I want, I want to, like I said, I want to certainly chime in on that is, is that very point that there is so much out there going on in churches that is abusive, but yet there are, are also other moments in which in which things aren't abusive, in which in which mm-hmm. churches are exercising legitimate forms of discipline and admonition of people who may need that. As, 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 but that's again sharply sharply opposed to the sort of punitive and damaging uh, discipline that's applied by by cultic movements. But it's important to, like you said, really understand that there's that there's a fine line between the two. That 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 and that, and and then like you said, there's a lot of ministers out there. And being one, I know, having been in the ministry since, since 1983, there's a lot of ministers out there that really don't really get. And don't understand, and for some reason don't have the wherewithal within them to to grasp that 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 what they do, what they say, really can be quite abusive and quite incredibly uh, uh, damaging to people. And and yes, there are some that would be that readily would, if they finally slowed down enough to listen, would uh, admit, hey, I, I I am doing something wrong, and and I need to change that. I hear stories in which in which that happens. I mean, the worldwide Church of God. That, that whole wonderful right. scenario back in the 1990s when they were there at one time of just a blatantly d- destructive and abusive cult run by, by, uh, uh, Herbert Armstrong. And now it's completely changed. The, the leadership from the top down began to really embrace a, a, a journey of change and, and they lost most of the members who couldn't handle it and now there's splinters of, of, of the Armstrong cult everywhere, going by the name Church of God. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I'm a Church of God Cleveland minister, so I'm not one of those. <laughs> but <laughs> but at the same time, there is there's definitely a a, a a a a space and time in which in which God gives everybody a chance to you know re- really rethink what they're doing. That's what repentance is about. And 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 like you said, there are some instances also in which there are cult members, or, I mean cult leaders, who just flat out won't do that because they like their sex, right. they like their money, they like the power, they like the trip, mm-hmm. and it's those are the mm-hmm. ones that that really count, that really start piling up uh, the religious abuse that we've spoken of. So, right. um, absolutely. So so tell me, as a person out large in in public, why should we concern ourselves with these? kinds of abuses in our country. I mean, it's a big world, big country. You know, the pundits say one man's cult is another's religion. Uh, right here in Indiana, we have a, a, a storied poet by the name of George Ives who would say, well, one man's, one man's um, spinach is another man's poison ivy. You know, so aren't we being intolerant, intolerable by focusing on these First Amendment protected groups no matter what they believe? Why should we care? That's a, that's a fun question. So, <laughs> Here's, Take a swing here's how I, yeah, so here's what I see as the difference. I am a firm believer that we do get to choose if we're going to 
what we're going to do. If we're gonna, we can, we can, we, I mean, the Lord could appear before us and we could say no. Right. <laughs> I don't know why anyone would, but that could happen. So free will choice. And I'm not trying to open up a theological can of worms with saying that because I know there could be conversations about predestination or not and things like that. So I don't, I don't want to go there, but in general, we get to, cho- we get to say yes or no to the church we're going to be a part of, whether we're like, well, we want to go and explore Christianity or we want to go and explore Buddhism. You know, people, people make these choices in their lives as they get older. They want to stick with the faith of their youth. They want to check out something different. So we see this movement happening, especially I would say here in the United States, I can speak to that for certain. When we're talking about an abusive leader, we're bringing in coercion, manipulation, gaslighting, undue influence, mind control tactics. Criminal activity. Yes, criminal activity. And so we start to actually lose that genuine sense of free will choice. Right. We're not, we're not operating just in clarity of our own mind to make a decision. And that's not what you just quoted <laughs> from our culture of, well, you know, people should just get to choose if you don't like it and it looks harmful to you. Maybe it's not harmful to them. If they haven't really chosen it and they're being manipulated, they're being gaslit, they're being, um, you know, unduly influenced, they didn't actually make the choice. And so right. you have a problem because right. that is their right to be able to do it. And that was taken from them. Right. Exactly. And it spills over. If you get a bunch of people who have been manipulated into making these, these horrific lifestyle choices that separate them from families, that tear them apart from their own consciences, that, that, that reel them with guilt, that expose them to sexual violence and, and, and mental domination and cultic mind control. You get a bunch of people involved with that. What's that going to do to their families? What's that going to do to their children? What's that going right. to do to the larger world that they live in all around them? I mean, it, it destabilizes. It destabilizes our, our society. It, it, it brings people down. And, and really, and it's, it's the ultimate antithesis to what Jesus said about living in a mother life. This is not, you know, cultism is not the mother life Christ assured that we could have. And really, that's, that's, you know, part of our concern as well. I mean, you can't just, you can certainly, Say what you, you can certainly, I mean, I can certainly agree entire, 110% with what you just said regarding the freedom of choice. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, like, like, like Steve, Steve Hassan said, you know, our, um, the, the gentleman who, who helped write uh, the, the, the brilliant book, um, on cult mind control. Um, he, he said something very clearly. Look, you can believe the world, you can believe the moon is made of blue cheese, okay? That's your freedom to believe that. But mm-hmm. if you are tricked and manipulated and 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 somehow fooled into believing uh that the moon was made of group group the moon is made of green cheese because of some manipulation, some unethical form of intrusion into your life, then there there's a problem. And that's exactly what we're hitting on. That's that's at the core of what religious abuse really does. It, it, it incorporates yeah. that kind of coercive control, which, which I've consistently called cultic mind control. And, uh, mm-hmm. and we, we, we've followed, uh, Robert J. Lifton's, um, uh, 10, I mean, eight criteria of mind control throughout our podcasts for the past year. Mm-hmm. We, we, we've helped people connect their experiences to what they've seen. 
And, and, and really it's, it, it just goes to show that when you, when you break down Lifton's eight principles of mind control, I mean, how you see it in life, um, you, re- you find out that religious abuse powered by this is far more prevalent in places we'd rather not look too closely. And would you, would you agree with that? Oh, yes. Yes. And if I may jump in, because I, before we segue, I want to add that I think there's another piece that can oftentimes not be considered by those who are outside, you know, of, mm-hmm. of these group experiences. Those who are, unfortunately, have not had them. Right. If someone had come to me at 18 years old, you know, I, I would have the right to leave if I wanted to. If someone had come to me and said, do you want to get out? of this situation. Like, I'm going to help you get out. You can get out. I would have said no, because, and here's how it could have been misinterpreted. Someone with the view that you had shared of, well, you get to pick and you get, they would have thought, well, she's happy. She wants to be a part of it. The reason I would have said no would have been because I knew that I would have lost my family. It's not because I actually wanted to be there. It's because of the the knowledge, not even a, it's a true fear because it would have been reality. And I have lost my family at this point. So you're going to lose your family. You're not going to, you might never see your mom again, whom you love like crazy. You might never see your siblings again. Like, And, and you're going to lose your worldview. You don't actually know what is real. So you're going to step out into nothing. Yeah. You're going to leave with nothing because no one's giving you anything to go with. Right. And so, People have to understand the question they're asking isn't a yes or no question. It's not that simple. It comes with a lot of consequences. And someone's answer is going to be based on those consequences, not based on that black or white answer of their desire to be a part of it or not. If I would have been told, I'll help get you out and you can still visit your family, you're still going to be treated well, we're going to support you and get you on your feet, it's all going to be great. I would have said, happy to, please help me. Right. And so people have to understand the the depth and breadth of the question they're actually asking someone right. when they consider this. <clears throat> right. I mean, there's those who are on the outside who have their own, you know, you know, like I said, ca- casual kind of uh, observation about about that very thing based upon a very, very dominant view in America that everything's fine. Every, you should tolerate everything. And, every, and it's just a, it's the culture. It's the times of of uh, of. Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Um, tolerance and uh, mm-hmm. tolerance and inclusiveness and uh, and, and, and for, and inclusiveness is a great ideal, but it's also a double edged sword. Uh, you, I mean, and and it's something that really at this point really shows how much you can cut everybody, and when you when you make that kind of statement, so. Uh, so, well, tell me a little bit more then about about what your work is. Tell, tell us who are your clientele. In other words, you know, kind of describe for us a typical situation you're called on to to help with. You know, you know, for you know, you know, for me, uh, it's a concerned parent. There's a sibling. A, there's a pastor concerned about the sudden change in an idealistic, energetic young person's lifestyle, or or, or somebody who's who's broken by by uh by cultism and and emails us or calls us. I mean, we we get that a lot. Our our our, our inbox, our our phone calls just keep coming. And all our work with yeah. with Gladstone and Xenos and Remnant in the past few years, it's just been an ongoing uh, incredible flow of need that we try to we try to help to. And I and I really mm-hmm. hope and pray uh, that what we're able to do is is help. But for you, and I'm sure again, it's similar. It's a similar, uh, similar background. Uh, what, what's a what's a typical situation like for you? 
I mean, uh, what, what, what are your perspectives on that? What, how has it been going for you? Sure. So we, again, because we're, we look at the kind of the spectrum is the word I use from mainstream to underground. We have a, a mix and I don't hold any as being necessarily worse than the other. I think there's differences right. um, and the differences are going exactly. yeah. to right. come alongside, but they're all bad. None of them are in alignment with what we're taught in scripture. They're all a problem. So they all lead someone to a potential place of walking away from the faith as well, which is again, always heartbreaking and something we, we hope not to happen. But when we get a call, it can be, I would say most often it's someone who has experienced the abuse personally. That's just mostly what we've had. That's not necessarily what the call needs to be. It's not the requirement. It's not, right. you know, the be all end all of who we serve. But I would say that is most commonly what we've seen over the past year because we're still kind of a baby organization. We got our 501c3 status in May of 2021. So we're just getting, we're just heading towards a year and a half now. So we're still, we're still newer people. The word's still getting out about uh, that we exist. But I would say that's probably the most common is someone who themselves have experienced something and they're trying to make sense of it and figure out what was that and what do I do with it? And no one understands my context and I need someone to understand my context. And that's a really tough part out there with finding good support professionals is we've got wonderful support professionals here in the United States. Very few who have this as a solid area of background so that they can serve well within this context. And so people are struggling to find good help um, for them specifically. So we will have people coming saying, we're hopeful. You know, maybe we've seen someone else. We've talked to other people or I haven't felt safe to come out with my story at all. And I heard your story. I've heard other stories that you've shared. Um, so we, we want to see if you can help. So that would be number one. Um, we also have people coming forward who, like you said, they know someone. And so they're like, how do I support this person? And so we love to come alongside you and help them navigate conversations, interactions, um, best practices, and how to go about that, but never in a cookie cutter way, right? Because right? every person's different. We're all designed uniquely. And so we want to know as much about the loved one as we can so that our responses hopefully hit the target. You know, we want it to actually help. That's the point. So that would be second, uh, probably most common. Where we're trying to get more into is, again, on the prevention side, um, doing more teaching and equipping, not only so people don't get involved in a cult or an aberrant, you know, religious group of some kind from the onset, but also so people don't fall into re-victimization because that, that is definitely a concern as well. When we come out of these groups and we're trying to get our feet under us, it's a really vulnerable time to then wind up in something else. And so we're really wanting to help people feel strengthened and feel confident in how to identify what's healthy and what's not before they step forward into something else that maybe is not. Right. Right. And that is very important because uh, helping people understand the situation from their perspective specific context is so important you you can't you you share with a with a, a victim uh, someone escaping someone leaving somebody in transition from a group somebody struggling to get out you 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 there's different ways you you dialogue with them you 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 cannot say one thing to one person and expect them to understand that 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 person in a different context might 
And that's especially true when you're speaking of, uh, like you said, the, the divide between knowing uh, who are the victims and who are the victims' support systems, who are their family, who are complete strangers who know, who know a friend, who knows someone who's concerned about them. Uh, those are important points to keep in mind, and, uh, and, I, and I appreciate the fact that you, you make that distinction because uh, so many people just, just don't really get it, really how complex this problem can really be when you start talking about relationships and then uh, how they all interact with each other. Uh, they, they really, really are um, uh, very important points. Uh, of the clients you work with, how many come from – say, the larger insular groups as opposed to the smaller ones. I think that's been a really big issue that uh, over the past years of, of my ministry, and I, like I said, I've been doing this since 83, uh, but I've come to really understand that uh, the perspective of the problem is often what skews it even further. And cultism being what it is, religious abuse being the, the common denominator pain of mankind, uh, when it's inflicted by spiritual believers who are errant, uh, it's something that's just not recognized uh, very, very easily at all. So, uh, what, what, so what do you, and and when and that's because of the way it's applied and and from the different forms of cultism out there. So let's let's discuss this the state of the, of the cult problem from that perspective. I mean, do you see a lot of people coming out from? Say groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, you know, the, the the so-called traditional cultic movements, or do you see them more from the smaller, more lesser ones? I mean, to me, that's been the big flag right there. It's, uh, but maybe you right. can you could speak to that. Yeah, I don't think this answer is going to surprise you from what you just said, but this might shock some of your listeners. I mean, ninety to ninety-five percent are the smaller. Mm-hmm. It's huge. It's yeah. a huge problem. Yeah. And many people, they don't have a name for it, just like I didn't. It's, well, you know, I thought I was Christian. Maybe they used this term or there was this nickname or something. But um, some of these situations, it's hard to even find information on the Internet about them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There isn't even much out there. And so, and it's just, it. It's crazy. I, I hear about, it seems like it comes in waves from like a single state. And so they're like, oh my goodness, that state is really saturated with this kind of activity. I had no idea that it was that bad in that state. And then I thought, oh my goodness, no, this state has so much. And oh, yeah. now I myself am living in a new state and all of a sudden I'm finding out about it. Every time I tell someone what I do, I'm hearing about a new group around that that's concerning. Yep. And so yep. this is just everywhere. And when we look at these these main name, you know, these main names where some would say some are world religions, some would say some are cults, you know, but either way, they're not in alignment with mainstream Orthodox Christianity. And maybe I shouldn't say mainstream Christianity because that, that's heading maybe in a progressive direction, but <laughs> Orthodox Christianity, yeah. uh, they're not in alignment with our Orthodox Christianity. And so we're, goodness, it's just, People will think of these these big ones, like you said, and they're not paying a lot of attention to the rest. And I think part of it is because there isn't a lot of literature, and so they don't really know what to do with it. Right. And I think that's where people like you and I come in, and and other ex victims, you know, who are these incredible have these incredible survivor stories and testimonies of what's been done in their lives. Um, it's to help educate as to what yeah. is really going on yeah. under the radar. 
and, 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 and right, and that's is again is is probably the one thing that 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 really and people can tell when when cultism is bad, but that's the one thing uh, that I think a lot of people are are so put off by is the fact that they can't really recognize the problem except when it comes and bites them in the leg when it's their kid mm-hmm. who gets involved with some Bible study that that tells them to suck their savings dry and go and go chase off on the, on the road with them somewhere. Um, I mean, and, and, and the, and one of the tragic things that I as a, as a minister have had to really, had to really face up to and finally just come to, de- come to terms with, within myself and, and, and how I view the problem is the fact that so much of this, so much of this is rooted in what we would think are Orthodox Christian churches. I mean, I live in Hammond, Indiana. Hammond, Indiana is the hometown for the First Baptist Church of Hammond. Used to be formerly run by Jack Hiles. It is one of the, I mean, the fundamental bastions, uh, in America for, for, uh, for Baptist fundamentalism. I mean, they're squeaky clean. They're incredible people. They're, they're, they're very active everywhere. And yet this group, this gigantic, one of the first so-called mega churches in America, uh, was run by a man who I think it really can be called a cultic leader. And his successor was no better. So I've never had a chance to really go over and, and really speak and get involved with people there, but but they're not alone by any means. I mean, the the, the, the traditional groups like like uh, Mormonism and and the Latter Day Saints, and I mean the the Jehovah's Witnesses are, are are very active around it. And there's also a very very well dug in congregation of called of, of a church called La Luz del Mundo, which is a, a, a cult imported from Mexico among the Mexican immigrants all over the United States. This cult preys upon them, and their leader uh, was just recently jailed uh, for having been involved in the most grotesque of, of sexual and, and religiously abusive escapades that he finally finally got to, got called out on. But there's a, there's a very thriving congregation right, right around the corner from us here. So it's a big problem. And when you drive by these nice, well-kept, church buildings and see these nice uh, well-dressed people flooding out and going to buy tamales on Sunday and, and going to, and having coffee and hanging out, just looking just as normal as they are, it, 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 just, it just blows your mind. You just can't see oh, yeah. the problem. You well, can't see it. Up for a tamale. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, and there's some great ones around here. And like I said, but that's how mundane the, the problem really is, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. just, we just don't see things for what they really are. It's, it's what I call the cult world, a culture of cultures, a world of worlds. It's just, it's not just a bunch of people out there. It's a group of others. They're integral parts of our human society. They're up, they're next door and close and personal. So. When you get to do that, when you do meet these folks, and uh, and when you went ahead to start conducting interventions, um, you know, maybe you can give us a little more insight on how you actually do that. What what is when you when you speak of interventions for those bound by such groups? Uh, there's so many dramatic overtones. You know, you hitch the word cult to it, and all kinds of wild speculation runs them up. You know, um, mm-hmm. so what what so I understand that that's part of what you do as well. And maybe you can enlighten us as to what you believe an intervention should be. I, I mean, I've had my own share of interactions with people who thought there was something else, and turned out I would, didn't champion that. And, but <laughs> what, what, what's been what, what has been uh, your specific organization's uh, approach to that? And and and, and so, well, what uh, what do you do for something like that? 
the most important piece, I would say what's foundational for this and that remains at its core is we're sharing information with people and we're asking a lot of questions. And I'd actually flip flop that if I was putting it in priority order. There's a lot of asking questions. At, basically, we're asking people to reconsider what they've been taught. Like, do we have good evidence for this? What have you been taught? Is it matching scripture? What is actually going on here? And and asking a lot of questions, hopefully getting the person to critically think again, because it's unlikely they've done that in a while. Usually that is the first skill that a an a, a group, an aberrant group, a cult, because sometimes, you know, people use the, the C word or they don't. Um, sometimes it meets all the criteria. Sometimes it doesn't. But cult, cult-ish, they are just swallowing what they're being told. And they're not supposed to question. They're not supposed to wonder. They're not supposed to have any doubts about anything. And the beauty about Christianity is we do get to question. That's right. We can we can have a, a doubt and we can wonder and we can want to investigate. And that's that's part of us loving God with our minds, right, is to know him. And so right. we want to know him. We want right. to know him through his word and through his spirit and through the spirit. Sorry, I don't want to say that in a misleading way. So I don't want to imply modalism or, anything, but, <laughs> I or like sure. par- partialism. Right. Um, Right. But yes, so it's really huge to have someone separate from their environment so they have a break from that indoctrination that's coming in, like try to cut off that just for a period of time, at least a few days. And then let's take some space. Let's put our phones down. Let's not um, be taking in so much contact from the group that you're a part of. And let's take a look at the doctrine of what you've been told. Let's take a look at the practices of what you've been taught. Here's questions. Here's information. Um, here's other stories. And hopefully it's a time for the person to start to mentally separate enough just to look at it. You know, we talk about this, we have this, you know, cliche of hindsight is 2020. Let's, let's try to have a moment of hindsight where we can look back and see what do I really think of that? Right. And we, it's near impossible to do well when we're in the environment actively. We may have these moments, you know, those moments, um, hopefully those who are listening, you can, you can track with me on this. You just have this feeling of like something's a little off or, ooh, there's something about that, but it's so easy to shelf it. Right. It's so easy to just ignore that small voice. Just slide on past it, ignore it, set it on the shelf, be like, maybe I'll look at it later. I probably won't. I don't know what to do with that. It doesn't fit in with everything else. I'm going to ignore it. The hope is during this break, some of those can get some attention. Right. And we can start to reconsider, maybe I wasn't wrong. Maybe I didn't have that hesitation because I'm bad. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not holy enough. Um, I'm not obedient enough. Maybe that's actually right. Maybe that's even God warning me. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. need to actually stop and pay attention and ask the questions. What, what's a, what, and that's a great point. Let me just chime in and ask the question, another one in conjunction with that. How can people in, in within a movement and, and specifically maybe even the family members of those who are involved in it, how can they help get, how can they lead or how can they or detect even how to, to recognize when that loved one who's under the experience, who's in it, has arrived at that point in which they can actually get into that, into that discussion. See, you, you make a great point. But I guess timing is everything. You can't press ahead if a person's not ready 
to question, right? You, so how do you know? How do you, how do you know when it's yeah. time? Yeah, they'll shut you down if it's not time. Um, and, and you'll actually see they'll probably pull away more, and you may find that you don't have communication anymore, which, of course, is not what we want to see happen. We want the door to remain open. And the way, you know, that's a t- it's a little bit of a challenging question to answer because I'm trying to think of it because, to me, I can just, I'm like, okay, in my mind, I could just tell. So how do I put that in words for someone else? Mm-hmm, right. There, There is a, it might not be, it may be something they say, like they may say something like, Oh, I was wondering about that or you know, they but oftentimes it's tone. So you can hear in someone's tone that maybe they're unhappy about something, they're displeased by something, something maybe irritated them, something rubbed them the wrong way. It's like, Ooh, okay, I have a sense now that they're not fully in alignment. There might be a little opportunity here to ask them a question about it. Mm-hmm. Maybe offer a little piece of information. But you guys it's way less about how much information you have. It's going to be a lot more about the questions you're asking to get them thinking for themselves. Because we're, I mean, if someone had come to me, in fact, my husband, we were engaged and he flat out said, I think you were in a cult growing up. And I just got mad. <laughs> you know, like that's not, that's not a good, t- that's not good. That's not going to be effective. It's not an effective intervention um, to just tell someone you're in a cult. Like usually they're not going to listen to you. And sometimes I get pushed back on that. Well, if you don't tell them they're in a cult, then they're not going to know. Well, they're not going to know even if I tell them they're in a cult because they're not going to listen to me. So it's more about showing and helping them come to that conclusion themselves of there's a problem here by asking right. good questions. Right. Um, I love uh, what Greg Kokel says about tactics in his book, Tactics, for anyone who's familiar. But the idea is putting a, a pebble or a stone in someone's shoe. If you have a pebble in your shoe, it's going to really irritate you after a while. You're going to have to stop, take your shoe off, and get it out. Right. Even if it's small, it's just, just a real nuisance. Um, and so we want to we want to create that. We want to put a pebble in someone's exactly. shoe so that stuff isn't quite as comfortable and quite as easy to to swallow anymore. Right. And that's what I encourage people to do who are still interacting with their loved one. It takes time, and we also have to understand they're going to want to know that they're still loved by you because they've been loved bombed. Yeah. And so if they're going to leave that, they want to know that they're going to be loved yeah. and accepted and cared for somewhere. And so that's really important too. So yeah. we don't always want to be focused on the pebble. We've got to remember we're love, we love this person. Right. We want them to know that. And, and the truth itself, just asking, just getting them to consider the question, uh, that, that, that centered around that point of their experience in the practice and the doctrine and in, in what they've encountered that, that has really, like you said, rubbed them wrong. Uh, that's when you create, like I said, the, 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 the fissure, the crack. Uh, I think mm-hmm. the, I think the technical psychological term is cognitive dissonance. It's when right. a person can't is finding difficulty with, you know, reconciling the, the pure dogma. Uh, and uh, that that the cult's demanding they live by to their own mm-hmm. experience, and they're failing to recognize. They're, they're really seeing how it's how it's not matching, it's not connecting, you know. And that's mm-hmm. again going back to uh, it, it, that's a reference that I believe you know uh, Doctor Lifton's mind control speaks to when it talks about doctrine over person. It's when a person's expected to live in such a way, regardless what. The belief costs them personally. And if, if you can find a loved one that's just struggling with that, 
trying to figure out, well, how, how am I expected to live on $20 a month when they have all my money? You know, uh, mm-hmm. how am I expected to live, you know, uh, uh, in such a way when they don't give me my medicine? You know, when they don't give me enough time? You know, you're looking for those points of discussion by which you listen. You're very actively listening. And then you, and then, you, and then, like you said, you encourage to keep going. So, so once you've gotten someone you think might be willing to have that discussion, what, what happens at that point? What do you guys do? Well, again, typically, I mean, there's a mix. Like we've, again, we're about a year and a half in. So we have had, um, several examples of actually being a part of this, you know, in mm-hmm. real time, in person. <clears throat> Excuse me. But oftentimes we're supporting people virtually, you know, we're in contact with someone and we're walking alongside them that way and we're kind of guiding their interactions with, with their loved one. Mm -hmm. And if they, if they have a door open, I mean, it's, it's so person specific. It's, it's tough to give a blanket statement here, but I would consider, I'd consider, is there an opportunity for the person to come home for a visit? You know, are we, are, is that an, an open door? Maybe. I mean, if so, we always are hoping the person will take a break from their environment. Again, like I said before, if at all possible. So we absolutely want to consider, could that happen? Or is there an option to go visit the loved one and, you know, stay at a hotel nearby and have them come and spend a night or two and have some space and have some actual in-person time if that hasn't happened in a while. So we always want that if, I, if we can. That's like a, a the big goal is for there to be some space, some separation. Mm-hmm. If that's not the case, then, again, those continued conversations, trying to maintain contact. And, again, don't come on too strong. Because when we love someone and we even, especially we're fearful for them, right? We're really concerned. And we feel like, oh, there's, there's a slight crack in the door. There's this fissure, as you called it, that maybe I can jump into. We can't start flooding them or they're going to shut back down. So right. it really takes a lot of self, self-discipline and self-restraint right. to not overwhelm. Right. And that's probably one of the biggest caution conversations I have with someone of, for lack of a, a better word, because this is not a game by any means, but for lack right. of a better word right now, this is a long game. Yeah. And so we really got to settle in and buckle up and be ready for the long haul. This is going to probably take some time. Right. Yeah. Part of pop culture today is that the notion that uh, cult interventions, there are moments of dramatic rescue of a cult member. Uh, and, and, and it's all cleaned up in a one hour TV show. You know, and it can involve abduction, even violence to, to physically drag them out. Obviously that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's absolutely not what, uh, what you or I would ever agree with, with at all. It's, it's never right. ever the same. It's always different. It is uniquely personal. It needs to be respectful and in, in the context of dialogue where it's wanted. If it's not wanted, then you don't go any further. You know, uh, I, I, have you ever done any, any, any in-person interventions or has, has everything been entirely been, um, been, uh, virtual? No, everything has not been virtual. Um, and so yes, in-person has happened. And something I wanted to say in connection with that question as well as what you just said is that, um, Oh, sorry, I just lost my train of thought, so you'll have to edit this out. Sorry. No, that's okay. It's <laughs> live. We're, we're, we're good with it. But we were talking about deprogramming. That's that's the word that's like they people like to oh, use. Oh, yeah. gosh. Yes. Oh, thank you so much for reminding me. So I want to 
remind people to model the boundaries that are healthy. So we don't want to have unhealthy boundaries and unhealthy behavior with someone who's already in something that's unhealthy. We want to actually model what is healthy. That's right. so important. Yes. So, so in, even in my interactions with people, I want to model good, healthy boundaries, good, healthy um, communication patterns, um, spiritual maturity to the, to the best of my ability for where I'm at in my walk, you know, and, and uh, emotional maturity and how I'm going to respond to things. Like even if I'm feeling really emotional, I don't want to react out of that. I don't want to respond out of that. Unless, and again, it's specific to the person. There are times and in interactions with my own loved ones where I have allowed my Myself to show that I'm distraught on purpose because I knew they needed to see it because they needed to connect with the reality of the harm that was being caused. Right. So there can be times to do it, but with the knowledge of I'm going to, it's not fake, it's genuine, but I'm going to allow myself to show it on purpose. Other times I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm going to try to rein my emotions in. I'm going to share those in a different space than with this person because I know it's not going to help. I know they're going to shut down. They're going to think it's dramatic, whatever it is. And so they're not going to hear me. Right. So it's, it's really guiding someone along. What, what does this need to look like? But again, to bring me, bring me back, healthy boundaries are in healthy relationships healthy relational practices it's just really important to make sure we're showing that Absolutely. in our behavior with somebody else uh, it's 110 percent agreed i mean that's that's been uh, a bane in the side of, of the work we've done for the years we i remember back several years quite a few years back uh, i was asked to come dialogue with a young man who was being involved with a nomadic uh aberrant group and uh his family uh, had incorporated, I won't mention their name, a very well-known cult interventionist that got involved and, 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 and asked them to uh, to come and speak with him. And I knew this person, knew them well, and I knew that they had, uh, had propensities, shall we say, towards involuntary abductions and, and, mm -hmm. and, and stuff like that. And, and by the time I met them in the city where they were at, I got in there, I could immediately tell from the body language from everybody involved that, uh, that there had been, that that had indeed had taken place. And I was unaware of it. I walked right oh, in the gosh. middle of that. And the interventionist just clapped me short. Says, "Listen, I gotta fly out somewhere and do something else, but here's what happened. Here's what happened. And you take over from here, basically. And it took oh, off. And young, this young man staring at me, wild eyed. The family's got at all the doors. And I'm really that 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 was, I won't get it long, but that was a tough one. That's terrific. <laughs> we, it, it, it ended well. Uh, I, I did manage to finally calm him down, enter into dialogue with him. But I, I but the family really, really, I think, really just uh, took that wrong side. Like you said, they didn't model the very things they wanted him uh, to to be to be under. And, um, yes. just, so that's, so that's so important. We, we, we don't, right. we, we don't abduct people. <laughs> we don't kidnap no. them against their will. Uh, we enter into dialogue in which people can, are free to leave. If they want to leave mm -hmm. the room and stop talking, that's where it needs to be. And, and, and so right. that's what we've modeled in our own interventions. And, and, and I, you know, we've, uh, been, been successful, uh, in helping people reexamine that. So, Wonderful. Um, yes. We want our behavior to be congruent with our, our mission and our hope for the person that we're going to engage with. If that person is being controlled and manipulated, we don't want to control and manipulate in order to get them out either. We're actually matching the group in some way. 
and now, and we're the family. And so it can be worse. I've heard people's stories who have had those deprogrammer um, experiences say in the seventies. And now it's 50 years later. And they're like, that was more traumatic than being in the group. Yeah. Because exactly. the group didn't abduct me. <laughs> the group chopped me into it. You know, they unduly influenced me. They coerced me, but they didn't abduct me. Right. I still walked on my own. In this scenario, I didn't even walk on my own. And so it actually stands yeah. out as being worse. And again, I also want to empathize, though, with the parents who maybe have done this who have, or who have made comments of, I just want to go abduct them. I just want to go take them. I understand the heart in that because you sure. want to, you want to rescue your baby. Absolutely. You want your baby to be safe and you know that you're safe. But that doesn't show that you're safe. And so we've got to make sure that our, our actions are going to align. Good point. Good, good point, Amber. You, you, you want them to be safe, but you have to show that you're safe. And that's mm-hmm. so, oh boy, that, 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 that'll preach, as they say. <laughs> that really, yeah. that really does speak. So, so in, in our recovery work that we've done as well, uh, you know, part of the real challenges we've, 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 we've found is people have been led into those conversations. And have decided to reassess and maybe break away. And that's a whole conversation right there we can have. We don't have time for that, unfortunately. Uh, part of that, of that challenge in helping those who've been religiously abused recovery is assisting them in recognizing that what they endured was abuse and was part of a process of literal cultic mind control they were controlled by. Uh, so what kinds of controlling influences do you encounter victims struggling with? What, what are the things that they've encountered, uh, after they've, that are really, really weighing them down, that, that are, are things that, that need to be looked out if you're going to be helping someone leave a group and they leave, what are they going to be, what's, what, what's, what's the pitfalls? What, what are they struggling with? Oh, depending on the group, I have, people that I work with who are struggling with logistics of where am I going to live? I don't have any credit. I don't have any savings. I don't have an ID. Right. I don't have a driver's license. I mean, so I, I want to point that out. That that can be part of it. There could yeah. be unmet medical needs because medical care wasn't encouraged. Someone might need to get back on medication. So I would say first, we need to look at those those necessities as in those very basic things. It's really tough to get to worldview and uh, emotional state when someone doesn't know where they're going to live. So we always want to consider those aspects first. Right. And then I see people really wrestling with how to make sense of what happened to them. What was it? What was, what do I take from it? What do I leave from it? Was there anything worth holding on to? Was there anything that was true? Was it all a lie? Uh, who, who's at fault for that? Uh, there's a lot of self blame that can happen, especially if someone was in a leadership role and they stepped out of, oh my goodness, I also now realize that I, I influenced others for something that was untrue, something that was harmful. And so there's a lot of talk about where does the blame actually go? Where does the accountability actually go? And, what is what is your role? What was not? And kind of working that through, uh, receiving forgiveness can be really hard for people. I would say that can be a real pitfall for someone that holds them in this shame blame game from their previous experience. Is they're like they can't even receive the forgiveness from Christ because they just feel so weighted by the guilt right. um, and the impact they've had on loved ones, whether in leadership or not. And so that's something to pay attention to. Also, something an aspect that I think is is very highly overlooked 
in general um, and things that I've read um, and just other pieces I've heard from other support professionals is this aspect of grief. Yeah. And that is, yes, that is, yes. I mean, we have got to join people in their mourning and their grief and we need to be present for them in that regard because Mm -hmm. no one is coming out of anywhere on this spectrum of religious abuse. No one's, no one is coming out of that without grieving something, grieving losses of some kind. And when we're talking, we can talk about losses of just what we thought someone, something was, and we realized it wasn't. So unmet expectations of what we believe to be true. We're also experiencing more tangible losses of community, actually, you know, specific people, um, our home, our job. And then we can go really big and we can look at a loss of worldview. And that impacts absolutely literally everything that we do throughout the day. We're always looking through the lens of our worldview. And so to have that be just immediately ripped off your face, leave someone feeling like they're stumbling about and they don't even know how to function. Right. So we have really big losses that need to be addressed, but all within this context of this person is grieving and they need, they need the time to do so and we need to support them in it. So yeah, those, I, I appreciate you're making that laundry list for us, Naomi, because that really is, those are the specifics of recovery that need to be addressed. And, and that's, and, and that's for those transitioning out of a religiously abusive environment where, where, where their lives were on hold. They were completely frozen, shut down. And now you've freed them to rethink again. Now they're trying to reconcile their memories and all that time to where they are. Oh, it's, this is incredible. Incredible. Uh, you cannot emphasize, under, understate just how incredibly, uh, uh, impacting that is. I, I was speaking with a man one time at, at a support group meeting back in Tennessee and we were doing these and he was telling me, you know, listen, I had a son who, um, uh, who had, um, who had leukemia and I lost him to leukemia, a son. And then, he, and then, and then he left, uh, a really, a, a cult that he was in. He says, the loss of, his belief, his faith of all that he knew that was real was far more impacting even to him, even against the backtrack of his son. He hurt more leaving the cult than the loss of his son. Because it's been so well said. If you, you, there's a lot of things a man you can take away from a person, but take away their faith and it, it could likely destroy them. Yeah. And there's so much. Yeah, it, it is. It's so, 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 so families should be ready. For, to understand that this is a, this is not a sprint. This person isn't yeah. going to get up and, and be teaching Sunday school the next day. Okay. This is a long no, distance. They, don't. Want. If they want to ask them not to. Yeah. 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 It, it, it's not because you don't want people involved in something healthy. They need to understand that where they are at, what they're doing is, 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 is safe for them is right for them and, and really meeting where where they are at, you know? And, uh, and so, so with part of that is, is identifying those, those pitfalls within them. You know, they, it, you know, they, we find so many laboring under guilt and self-incrimination and fear and anguish, you know, uh, how do these abusive environments leave people so broken? That's one of the things that people never quite understand is how cults do that, how they're able to do such a number on people. I mean, we've discussed it already, but maybe you can make it a little bit clearer for those who maybe have not quite got it yet. Uh, what, 
how do they, how do these cultic movements break people in, 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 in such ways? How, how do they do that? Well, if we're talking about a cult, it's, it's all in house. So they're, they're all of the time. I mean, if we're talking a cult, they're every, everything's being controlled. So they're, the information they're getting is being controlled. Their behavior is being controlled. I mean, if we look at the bite model or, um, you know, we look at the, the eight points that, that you follow, it's impacting every aspect of life. So this is an all encompassing situation and they've been taught to conform so heavily or there's going to be consequences. They could be excommunicated. I mean, it depends on the kind of group. There could be various hell. kinds of abuse. They could be destroyed. Yeah, they could go to hell. Absolutely. Demons going to pack them. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so it's completely fear-based. So someone's just so fearful of not totally falling in line and being obedient. And then all of a sudden they're told, no, all of that was a lie, and they're just supposed to not be scared and walk on happily forward. I mean, that's just completely unrealistic. Mm, yeah, right. And, and the reason and that fear, it just it doesn't go. And talking from a personal experience, it took years. And again, I would say the fear went away almost in layers, and in some areas faster than others. I remember celebrating Christmas for the first time. Oh, uh, yeah. This was several years removed. I did not have a good time. Because I still had that fear because there is, there's a very real physiological component that happens in us. Like our neurocircuitry, the way our brain is going to communicate with the rest of our nervous system, there are, there's a way that our body is going to communicate with itself. Right. And there are actual, you know, real things that happen there. I don't want to get super technical, but this is kind of the science of trauma and what goes on when someone has experienced real life trauma. And the body is still going to respond the way it's learned to respond. And so it takes time to change that communication within our body. So I might not be thinking, oh, my goodness, this is scary. But my brain is going to go into this threat reflex response of this is scary. All of a sudden, I, my body's released all these hormones and chemicals that stay in my body for three to four days. And that's kind of that fight, flight, freeze, spawn response we're going to have. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot that goes on. People talk about going numb. Well, your body will actually release an opioid that makes that happen. Floating. And so there's snapping. Yes. Yes. So there's a lot that goes on within our bodies as well. And that's not just going to stop even because I have a a correct thought now. It takes time. And that's where a support professional or just really good family around you, people that you can trust. And they have to be people that you do feel like you can trust. And that in and of itself can be hard. Because at the core, people coming out of these situations, they don't trust themselves to know who to trust. And that's really where it gets tough. Um, and so that's usually where we start, but having that support around us is going to be really important. And again, just understanding for those loved ones out there who are listening, just remaining patient. Like you said, this is not a sprint. This is going to take a long time. Yeah. Progress is made. So I don't want to leave that as some sort of death sentence. I don't want this to sound awful. It, It takes a long time to get again from A to Z or to get back from Z to A. Right. But we can we can get there. You know, we do make progress. So it's not all of a sudden we jump really far. It's no, it takes time. And so over every week, you know, progress is made. And so that's hopefully encouraging. Right. And like you said, it is entirely immersive experience. People, uh, I think people understand it in different ways, but uh, it's one of the most profoundly impacting uh, experiences a person will ever feel. I mean, it completely changes their lives. They've, they've made complete 
changes in mind and heart and soul and spirit and, and relationships. Recovery from all that is possible, but it's got to be done carefully. It's got to be done done intentionally. Um, good uh, biblical counsel. I want I want to make this clear. Biblical counsel is is incredibly important. It is vital to helping people recover if they really want that. Uh, one of the things that I've learned that in, in many instances that uh, when people are recovering from uh, religious cultism or or, or or any sort of cultism that could be involved could be involved spiritual is that that many there are many secular therapists and secular uh, interventionists that that really kind of almost downplay the necessity for addressing that they and and and, and they end up leading people to to just really just kind of you know check that as just a bit of a superstition that they don't need they need the ultimate reality that only facts. And, and, and cold facts and logic and really what I read to. But yet, recovery means something. It, the word means bringing back, is, is rescuing and getting back what you lost. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's where I think our ministries, which they are, are, are really trying to do what we can to help people in that area. Yes, having biblical counsel is so important. It is to help people understand that, but not all biblical counselors really get all everything else we've spoken of. You can't just right. you can't just get people to sit down and and, and re-sign their nine their their name on the Westminster Confession. Say, "Yep, I'm I'm good now." Yeah. It don't work oh, that goodness. way. Well, it don't work that no, way. No, and I just I just had someone tell me that they sat down with a biblical counselor after just coming out of a cult, and all they got talked to about for the first three sessions until they said, I'm not going back because this isn't what I need, was about how they need to forgive. Mm -hmm. I'm like, they don't even know what they're forgiving yet. Like, Mm -hmm. they don't even understand what all that was to even know who to forgive yet. So, like, we're really not starting in the correct place here. Like, we'll, 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 we can get to forgiveness, but they've got to even know, well, who, who am I forgiving for what? Because I'm still not sure, you know, what was up and what was going on. Right. And something that I ask people permission to do, and usually they're very, you know, amenable to it, uh, whether they sub- subscribe to Christianity, whether they believe in Christianity or not, is I'll ask them, even whether you believe the Bible to be the word of God or you do not believe it to be the word of God. I do. You know, we're very upfront about that. But it can be really helpful to show you that what you were taught isn't actually even in here. Right. Because then you can decide about the Bible based on what's actually in it. And also, you can properly place the accountability and the blame where it goes, because sometimes people are claiming that they're blaming the Bible. Well, my leader was just preaching what's in the Bible. The Bible's the problem. And then they maintain some kind of endearment towards their abusive leader. And it's, no, what they taught wasn't even in the Bible. The Bible is not the problem. And then they can properly place that accountability on the leader, and then hopefully, again, cut that tie of endearment and that tie of oh, well, the leader was just doing what this said. Like, it wasn't the leader's fault. It's the Bible's mm-hmm. fault. And we need to correct that. Yeah. Yeah. And then and, and that's where, like you said, you have to go slow and understand mm-hmm. what those specific things that they struggle with. Uh, I don't know if you've ever, if, if you've uh, if ever have, have read the book, but it's an old book. It's, it's one I, I would recommend anyone struggling with this very thing to think about. Uh, there's, there's a great book written by, uh, I forgot her name, um, 
Oh goodness. Uh, she was, uh, she was a former Mormon and I don't mm-hmm. re- I remember what, don't, oh gosh. Now, it's, now I'm going blank. Uh, anyway, oh, uh, her name was, uh, was Janice Hutchinson. Mm-hmm. And she wrote That's an ex- ex- excellent book. All the cults. All the cults mm-hmm. into the church. And, and it, this wasn't the classic treatment of just, you know, read the Bible, pray, and, and, and it all will be well with you. She really got into really understanding and helping former members take apart their cult experience and understand what had been done to them. And, and, and that's basically what, what we are trying to do in, in, in interventions and in post-cult recovery is help people understand what's going on in there, what has happened to them, what did they experience, and and, and then help them understand it. It was a pro- process that was done to everyone, and it just impacted them, and, and, that, and that there's ways beyond that. And I think that's really a, a very important point to press home, and you're absolutely, absolutely right on that one, too, so... So finally, as we're wrapping this up, and I really appreciate you spending the time. I wish we could spend a lot more time, but uh, we, we don't. But I know you've got things to do with your with your life as well. So, uh, how would you when you when you do start talking to your clients about recovering a balanced Christian faith and helping them reintegrate into new life? Uh, how do you how do you handle that? How how do you address that with people? Well, you know, like I said, we we've, we've been mentioning the, you know the post cult experience debriefing and helping understand that and then and then referrals to professionals as needed you know we certainly don't i, I certainly am, am an advocate of their of, of professional therapy i i and i regularly uh, refer people on to find therapists as needed because i because that's not where i'm at but i can certainly help mm-hmm. in other ways uh but in those other ways are you know in terms of helping people recover what is lost uh, to me that's right. i mean a foundational aspect of recovery how do you guys address that? i understand part of your programming is doing that with the mentoring and everything like that so maybe you can maybe speak to that a little bit yeah absolutely so yes the mentoring which is one-on-one or you know a couple of people if it's two friends relatives spouses and then we have a, a group that I piloted it this past spring I had an incredible experience with it and it's focused for on recovery so it is for people who have experienced religious abuse and they are trying to get a stronger foundation and it's part one of a two-part series where we're working on what we're calling a can i series coming up that we're going to release in october people can sign up for that mm-hmm. and this this other one we're releasing again in september but it's what i would consider to be sort of the foundation we're looking at two aspects we're looking at the big questions that come up about christianity about god about faith and so we're exploring those questions i would say kind of on that biblical theological studies slash apologetics realm you know bringing those two together is is always important and then we're also looking at these kind of day-to-day skills or tools i would call them like what what is a boundary because mm-hmm. unlikely that they've been taught what that looks like and we want to make sure that they feel like they can say no when they need to in the future and so what are boundaries um how, how do i trust again how do i trust others in order to do that i need to trust my assessment of others in order to do that i might really need to be able to trust god and what i believe he's speaking to me so that all connects together finding right. a healthy community what is a healthy community what do we even mean by that 
what are some criteria we look for? What's some, some due diligence steps I can take before I choose this community or that community? And so we look at, again, these kind of practical day-to-day tools for, for healthy functioning, as well as these big worldview questions that we can then, you know, couch that within. And that is also I would say that does dictate a lot of the conversations, or let me put it this way. These, these two series have come out of the hundreds of conversations that I've had with people. Mm-hmm. And like, these are just, these are the topics that just come up over and over and over again. And so let's create a series where people could come together as a group within it, which in and of itself could be a healing experience Yeah, to have a, a group come together and have it be respectful, understanding, empathetic, people listen well i mean that in and of itself is like wow that was safe that was actually an example of a healthy communal experience so yeah maybe it does exist out there maybe this is indeed possible yeah. so it's really incredible to offer that for people great well we'll look forward to being, I, I look forward I, I, I've, I've been so busy i have a chance to really, really dig into that there on your website but uh i know that you you've been offering these services for some time and uh, i really would uh, certainly commend anyone to uh stop by your website and, and check out what you're doing and get a little more uh more insight into all that and uh, what, what is your website again by the way it's beembolden.org sure yeah beembolden.com so beembolden.com yeah beembolden.com and some of this isn't on the website yet because like the specifics for the groups that are coming up I actually met with our our website team just earlier this week and they have about four months of work probably ahead of them because fortunately we're growing the words getting out that we're here so as we are able to serve more we're needing to grow and build um and, and put put more services out there so please continue yeah. to check in on it you know maybe weekly or once a month and see what's being added and as right. always anything i'm referencing here if you don't see full details on the website yet they're coming but if you want them just send us an email hello at beembolden.com and i'd be happy to, to get you the information you're looking for right it's a great site if anyone's not been to the visit it's just incredible so much more user-friendly than you can possibly believe there's some really good stuff there and i um, our own clunky website is long in need of uh, some very serious updates, but, but our website's there, you know, it's, it's certainly a little bit older and, and we, we're, we're more glean, we, we certainly tend towards archiving a lot of research and a lot of, a lot of links and things. So, uh, uh, but we, and we've always had a, a recovery concern and, uh, we're trying to be a little bit more, more proactive in that and uh we've like i said we've been involved in in helping people and and but i'm i'm just i just you know like i said i dip my color to you guys you guys are doing exactly where i where i'd like to be right now in terms of helping people understand that and you know it's just it's it's wonderful to not be the only one. And so I'm so thankful to be connected to you and to have this opportunity to collaborate with you because I can't do it all. Be emboldened can't do it all. And so part of what we care about is also, you know, again, being that hub for resources of, Hey, these are other organizations that exist. These are other good people doing good work and you can seek them out as well. Absolutely. And so I'm just, I'm so grateful for this opportunity to connect with you and hear more about what you're doing. And again, hopefully serve those who are listening yeah. and, leave them with a message of where where people are at right now if they're in a place of suffering and struggle it can be temporary just like it's been for me yeah and that's 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 what makes my story beautiful is what god's done with it it's the redemption that makes it beautiful otherwise it's right. just a really really sad story 
Right. And but it didn't end there, and it doesn't have to end there for anyone. And so I just feel incredibly honored and privileged to walk alongside people and encourage them to keep going. It takes time, but keep taking those small steps because there is so much. There's so much goodness out there for you. Yeah. Right. So uh, yeah, and and that's. That's the whole ball. You know, that's what, that's what we say, uh, at, at our, and we, we, we always say we're, there's an old tired saw that still, that still does say something today. Where there is life, there is hope. I've always, mm-hmm. always believed that. I've told every person who's been in the darkest place of their life when I've tried to share and, and offer counsel as well as interventional services, says, listen, where there's, where there's, your loved one's still alive, there's hope. There's, there's, there's things going on that are, that are keeping you apart. There is hope. Just keep mm-hmm. pressing on. You can start, you can begin to rebuild from whatever part you're in, no matter how hopeless it seems. And, Absolutely. and I think, I think organizations such as, such as yours and, and mine in some small way, we, we certainly do believe that, that there is a way of redemption through all that. And we know Christ is at the center of it all. His gospel and understanding it uh, is part of that. But living it out now then becomes the, the, the critical thing. I mean, it's, it's one thing to have all your theological ducks in a row. It's another quite to see where people actually are, are, are again, living as if it matters and it affects their life. And um, that's who the, the kind of community people need to see. Um, yeah, and, and so, so as a final thought, uh, I'll close now and we'll, we'll, we'll close this, our podcast. And once again, thank you for coming on, uh, Naomi. I'll leave you with a final opportunity to speak to listeners about this, this, about these issues and anything else you'd like to say. And then, and as a minister, I strive to encourage people to not give up and seek and understand God's love. So, and, and his care. Uh, so is there anything else you'd like to say about that or anything else in your mind? I'd like to give you the last few minutes on the floor here, ma'am. Well, you know, there was something that you had just said about, you know, while there's there's still life, there's hope. And I 100% agree with that. And when we're talking about people who are involved in a cult, yes, there's still hope for them to come out. There's still hope for this to be different. And as Christians, we get to even go a step further than that. And we get to know that there's hope even in death for us. And that is just an incredible message that I I find so encouraging. And whatever, whatever this looks like in your life, I hope that if someone is really down on the idea of Christ is like, no, I don't, I don't believe in that. I don't, you know, this was used to harm me. The Bible was used to harm me. I I would want to encourage you just with so much compassion and empathy from someone who herself could not look at the Bible for years that the the Bible may actually be and God may actually be exactly who you're looking for mm-hmm. and exactly who can help you along in this journey. And don't, let's not let what someone else did to us steal that opportunity. Let's not give them that win. Right. Let's explore it for ourselves slowly, carefully with kindness, grace, and patience for ourselves because it can be really triggering and really hard to do. Again, find someone to come alongside you to help you with that process. And let's let's reconsider if it's something that we've closed the door on. Because again, they that ex leader may have or that you know ex leader in your life may have actually stolen more from you than you've realized if that's the case. And ultimately I want you to have the, the ability to choose again. And you get to choose what you choose, and I respect that, and I genuinely mean that. 
Absolutely. I don't want you to, I don't want you to let them have chosen. I don't want them to have chosen for you by throwing it all out. And so I think that would be my final message is if you've closed the door on it, please consider reconsidering and just know that there's, there's so much hope um, for a change in your life moving forward. Yes. Yes, there is. You know, Jesus was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And we read this in Luke chapter four. And he says, when you open the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. You know, when you read what Jesus wrote, I mean, I mean, excuse me. When you, when you read what he read, when you when you read what is written about what he said, you you recognize really quickly where God's perspective is in all this. You recognize really quickly that that God isn't all about ordering your life with theological busy work and, and, and oppression. He's about sending people out with the good news that heals, that frees, that breathes brings sight and hearing back to those who are blind and deaf and to set at freedom those who are oppressed. Now that's that's that may not be the God that a lot of people hear about in groups like the movements that we've talked about. A lot of people leave groups thinking God is a monster and understandably so. But as you said so well, Naomi, so well, you know, we don't want to you, you don't want to miss the opportunity to hear what God's real heart really is like and uh and i appreciate you bringing that up it's it's so vital to recovery i think i mean you can recover without 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 re-embracing faith you certainly can do that but there's so much that you put yourself out to 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 gain through faith and just because the faith was poisoned and wrong doesn't mean that 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 faith itself is something to reject and I, I, I appreciate you helping me, uh, like I said, uh, maybe encourage people to keep that point in mind as they reconsider their involvement in the angels' movements like cults and abusive churches. Thanks for listening today as we explore just where are we going. Our prayer is that you have been encouraged and strengthened and, if necessary, challenged in your daily journey through life. Jesus is coming. You can fall with the night or you can rise with the sun. The choice is yours. You can email us with questions and comments at feedback at spiritwatch.org. And if you need urgent personal spiritual help, email us at help at spiritwatch.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Please follow our podcasting at our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. This podcast is a production of Spirit Watch Ministries, taking heed that no man deceives you.